Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uesa. And this is Dennis Ryan, filling in for Daniel. <laughs> That's right, a wild Dennis has appears. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, like you said, Daniel is away uh, on assignment. No, I'm joking. He's taking vacation. So I'm glad you can step in. Some of our listeners might know you from streams and uh, Twitter, of course. Yeah, I am uh, I'm Quaid Rain, uh, pretty much everywhere online, uh, including the soon-to-be-dead. <laughs> by the time this, web, by the, by the time this uh, goes live, <laughs> Twitter might not be a thing anymore. But um... That's right. We're all watching the Twitterverse <laughs> implode. Uh, as as we speak, actually, I always meant to ask you where. What is the origin of Quadrain? Okay, um, I actually love this story because it's a really funny origin. And I basically uh, I was playing a tabletop RPG, and I was really enjoying the game. I really enjoyed the GM, and I really enjoyed the friends I was playing with. So I really wanted to put like a, a effort into creating the character that I was creating. I wanted it to be like a, a character that I I knew I would enjoy a lot going long term. And I decided to come up with the, with Quaid because the, the actor Dennis Quaid, I, I, I like him as an actor. I love Inner Space. Just Dennis Quaid, Dennis Ryan. I thought Quaid was a kind of a fun, unique first name. And then many months later, I ordered pizza one day. And it came with, with my surname, Ryan, misspelled as R-A-Y-N. And I looked at it and I was like, Rain. Wow, I love that. <laughs> I love that spelling. I love that name. Um, so Quaid Rain just became my tabletop RPG uh, go-to username. And then that fed into my, my my Twitter handle and my Xbox Online handle and all these other things. So it was just a really fun uh, happenstance. There you go. It's meant to be. Yeah. I, I, whenever I hear Quaid, I'm reminded of, that was uh, Arnie yeah, Schwarzenegger's right. character in Total Recall, Total right? Total Recall, that's right. Um, what yeah, is it? Get your ass to Mars. If I'm in chat on, on Twitch or whatever, and a particular streamer is is on the stream, he always says, you are what you do, because that's one of the quotes that somebody says to Quaid. A, a man is defined by his actions, not by his memories. So the, the streamer says, you are what you do. And I, I always reply, I'm defined by my actions, not by my memories. So Wonderful. I didn't know we were going to get so philosophical <laughs> this, this early in the segment, but that's exactly. great. Yeah, I, I am glad to have you on as well, because I, I feel like we're always passing each other, I guess, like physical spaces. You know, you're always at TCTC mm-hmm. and you were at Shex recently. I was not, but but Daniel was. And uh, you're often doing the the streamer streams for these conventions yeah. like TCTC around the same time that we are. I think you've actually technically been a guest on my last podcast, Test Coast Games, although I wasn't interviewing you. I think it was Nick, right? It was Nick Angiers? I believe I believe Nick interviewed me. Oh, man, that was quite a few years ago. Um, I, 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 my Marple Meeples one time, my meetup that I used to run yes, or something. Yes, that's right. I, I also guessed with you and Daniel when we played... Oh, that was for TCTC, when, when we played um, Architects of the Works Kingdom, I think, or one of those... Yeah, I think that went only to the to the stream, but yeah, right, we yeah. did do that. That's great. Well, welcome, and we'll definitely love to hear your opinions. Uh, I think it was your game that you suggested, but before that, let's talk about what you've been playing. How about you start us off, Dennis? What, what games, digital, analog, what have you, what have you been playing of late? Uh, not to s- spoil things on what we're about to talk about as the, as the main segment, but uh, sticking to a space theme... Um, I've really been enjoying a board game called Quantum. It's quite a few years old, um, maybe a decade or more from Funforge, or at least the copy I have is from Fun, from Funforge. It's, I think, out of print at the moment. I've heard rumors that it's that the designer is bringing back a fantasy version, like basically the same mechanics but under fantasy version. But I have the sci-fi version. It's a 4x game using dice as your ships. So there's not like loads and loads of minis or whatever. Instead, there's this really nice frosted die. Our dice and then um, the dice like the pips represent both the combat value and the movement value but combat is won by the lower values not like say say a six pip can move very fast across the map but that is really terrible in combat where the one value pip moves very slowly but it's great in combat and it's just a really fun strategy game and it's really enjoyable I, i've owned a physical copy for years but it's only since getting into online gaming with on you know, board game arena that i've finally been able to like dive into quantum and play it like on a much some of the bigger maps and some of the bigger um, player counts and some of the longer game lengths, which is very hard to play in physical because you're always teaching a new pl- one or two new players. So you always end up defaulting to like the, the base setting or whatever. Um, so it's been really, really enjoyable to jump into Quantum on like that much meatier, deeper, 
yeah, more expansive level. Right? It's not it's not as deep or, or uh, as overpowering as some of the other forex games, but uh, it's just really uh, engaging, and it's not a game. It's not a style of game that I usually enjoy. And in fact, I didn't want to play Quantum when I first heard about it. I had no interest in ever trying it. One of my friends was like, hey, I, I want to learn this game. Do you want to learn it with me? And I was like, okay, fine. I'll just I'll sit in for like a game just to help you learn this game. And I just completely, like, first play, I was like, I must own this game now. Like, I really, really love it. I really like 4X in general. I don't love the theme, like historically the theme of 4X, but, you know, in a, in a sci-fi setting, it's not so bad. You know, I think most 4X games are, tend to take themselves too seriously. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing if this is a somewhat lighter affair, uh, I, I think that's all for the better. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And the, like, and the map itself that you're flying around, the, the, the galactic map is, is modular. It's just made up of... Uh, three by three grid, grid cards um, so you can build different system layouts depending on player count, game length, difficulty, all that sort of stuff. So. Well, I'll definitely want to check that out. I'm going to mention uh, a game I've been playing l- lately and it's also along the the space theme. Cool. So this is a, I think it's a lesser known, it's definitely a budget title. It's called Astebreed, A-S-T-E-B-R-E-E-D. It's a Japanese uh, shmup. So it's a, it's a shoot 'em up. It's kind of like near automata where it actually changes the direction of the action cool. based on what level you're in. I'm not really a big shoot 'em up fan i definitely played them back in the day because back in the 2d retro game days you know that was yeah <laughs> that was one of the few genres you had back exactly then. one of my faves back in the day was called r-type yeah r-type's great i played um ikura i think it was called ikura on, on Ika, ikaruga ikaruga on, on, on the dreamcast originally i think yeah, that one's legendary. I, I actually never played it, but it's it's notoriously difficult <laughs> to to what I uh, heard. Bullet hell, right? Yeah. This one was interesting. Like I said, it, it changes from horizontally scrolling to vertical. It actually changes to third person <laughs> over the shoulder at points. Unlike a lot of shooters, it has melee because you're basically a mech. <laughs> you're basically like, this is like Gundam the shmup. So you're shooting with automatic fire, lasers, and you have a freaking sword. Wow. And and you could just like slash slash the things in front of you. And of course you're you're dodging the the bullet hell, all the opponents, but it's a little bit more friendly, newbie friendly than some other shoot 'em ups as well, because it's not one hit, one one hit kill. You actually have a health meter. Wow. It's it's actually very friendly. Like I didn't really die until one of the like later stages, like pretty far in. And you know, you just kind of coast along. You're just uh, enjoying just the visual <laughs> activity. Wow, right? that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It actually reminded me a great deal of the the shoot 'em up segments from Near Automata. Yeah. Uh, so that part of it was a real blast. Uh, pardon the pun. And I I didn't end up finishing it, but I went pretty far. I just reached a point where I just kept dying two dozen times over and I just kind of put it down. But for a budget title, I don't even know where I got this game. It was just in my Steam backlog, booted it up on the Steam Deck, and I had a blast for like, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes or however long I played. Cool. It sounds uh, sounds like a good one for the Steam Deck as well. It sounds like the next... the portable oh, yeah. access or whatever it runs beautifully on that awesome. and i can't imagine this is very expensive i, I would imagine it's in the bargain bin the five dollar ten dollar kind of range oh, that's that sounds amazing yeah so it might be worth uh, worth it for like at least one evenings of entertainment i have many happy memories so playing um one of those uh shmups uh back in like on an arcade machine in, in a fish and chip shop in ireland um when i was in secondary school <laughs> Oh yeah, so Great many queen. good ones. Too from many back coins. I can't remember what the name of the one from PS One era was. It was a two point five D as well, and it was Einhander. The idea was, you know, how R Type has the yeah. ball, right? Einhander. It's a sh- spaceship, uh, like most of them are, but it has um, armature Work. that you can you can load additional weapons on. So you have, oh, awesome. you know. 
two or three weapons uh, at, at various points in addition to shields. But it did amazing stuff because it was the start of the 3D generation. Right. So it, it you did these like three-quarter angles coming towards you, warping them around 2D straight at an angle, straight at an angle. It was just really mind-blowing at the time. Cool. Wow, that's amazing. Love that action. What other stuff have you been playing more than uh, more than one game of late? I have. Uh, <laughs> Daniel will enjoy hearing me talk about this one. I've been playing a lot of Snap, Marvel Snap on the mobile phone. Ah, Snap, notorious. Yeah. That's been making the rounds on on Twitter as I've been seeing. I, I, I think it's the um, it's the only advertiser that seems to be on Twitter these days. Um, it's just it seems to be everywhere. Um, it's a really fun uh, du- dueling battling card game. Uh, so each player has a deck of 12 cards, uh, unique characters, so you, there's no cop, there's no cop doubles of characters. And you just put, put your deck against somebody else's deck, and it's, it's really fun, really fast. Matches are like three minutes long, um, and I'm just really, really enjoying it. I'm really enjoying unlocking some new cards and then building a deck around whatever I've unlocked or trying something new or something different. And because matches are three minutes long, it's like, oh, that didn't work. I'll quickly swap stuff out or whatever. Yeah, I, I have some experience with Snap as well, but I, not nearly as much as you. Yeah. I, I think you're you're a pretty big like Marvel fan, right? I'm I'm a very big Marvel fan, yeah. But uh, I also got in on the beta for this, so I think the official launch was October 18th recently. But uh, I've been playing since June. Right. I saw you talking about this on Twitter like a while back, mm-hmm. and I, I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. I'll check it out. And of course, it was not available. So I assumed you were like. You're you're originally Irish, right? Yeah, I, I assumed you were on like some foreign. You know, sometimes they release apps um, in advance in smaller markets. So right? uh, what happened was my phone went on a brief digital holiday to the Philippines. <laughs> ah, there you go. So what I did was, uh, and it really, it's really pretty easy. I actually did it for Pokemon Go back in uh, four or five five years ago as well. I just created like a, a new uh, Apple profile. So it, I think this only worked for Apple. Apple devices, um, but I created a new Apple profile, uh, told it that I was based in the Philippines, and told the store that I was in the Philippines. No VPN, no messing about with like internet or anything. I just said, I'm in the Philippines, and my store should be the Philippines. And the game said, okay, and gave me the game, because it was uh, it was being <laughs> um, beta tested in the Philippines area. And, oh, that's uh, funny. I downloaded it onto my phone, and then I just logged out of that account, logged back into my regular account, and because it was on my phone, I could play it normally with my regular account. So. Oh, hilarious. It sounds like Apple doesn't really keep watch of their back door. They just leave it wide open. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's all digital stores, right? But Without giving too much away, I think we might cover Snap in the future. So I'm going to keep my opinion of it quiet. But well, you know what? Here's here's the, the an offer. You can you don't have to answer me now, but I'm going to ask Daniel if we can invite you back to uh, join us for the Snap episode because you clearly have the most experience of all of us. I would very much enjoy that. That would be pretty amazing. Okay, well then, let's leave Snap at that. I'm going to talk about another game I've been playing. So a little old title called Persona 5 Royal (laughs) hit a number of systems recently, and not least of which was Xbox. You might know from previous episodes that Daniel and I are big Xbox Game Pass pushers, flaunters, shields, whatever you call it. Uh, I had actually bought persona 5 for ps4 back in the day i love persona 4 golden and i beat that game on ps vita fantastic brilliant fit for that portable platform and i have been playing on xbox but you can also stream xbox game cloud to uh steam deck (laughs) and and other other pcs and other platforms as well so it's been brilliant for that and it just streams beautifully like i don't know what it is about that i guess it's kind of like cell shaded uh very stylistic especially the the the, um cinematics sorry mark it's just beautiful sorry can i can i admit something i've never actually played any persona game so can you give me like a rundown on the type of game that it is oh yeah 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 no worries persona is a little bit confusing because it kind of ties into this series called shin migami tensei uh, as well but it's basically a jrpg that mixes typically teen life scenarios with demons and uh ghosts and beasts and it's kind of like a slightly more mature Pokemon. <laughs> okay. 
this you sort of collect these demons that you uh, fight you can collect them and add them to your roster and you can kind of crossbreed them to create new monsters to add to your roster and then you can kind of call them out and uh, and and deploy them to fight other turn-based battles for you unlike shin Megami tensei which is a little bit more hardcore rpg this one is a little bit more focused on like like a visual novel slash dating simulator not in a hardcore way just it's mildly there yeah the the structure of it is that it's modeled after the school year typically so you you attend class which you know blazes by really fast sometimes there's like a this is a one-off question about Japanese history or something like that that you have to answer. And then after school or whatever, the kids get together and then they enter this sort of like upside down world. Wow. A la stranger things, I guess. Wow. Cool. And they go there and they fight. <laughs> so that's a lot uh, on top of that. They're known for really like hyper stylistic, like UI and even like the, the fashion sense of the characters, like hyper stylized, really the opposite of like Dragon Quest, which is like super, yeah. super old school. Or, or yeah. it's not, it's also a little bit more punk rock than Final Fantasy. Right. So I, I really think it's great. But I was saying, I didn't really get into Persona 5, like base model. Mm-hmm. I just I wasn't feeling it at the time or whatever. But they've added like a lot of improvements a lot more it seems to this royal version so if you haven't tried persona 5 at all or any of the personas i think this is a great place to jump in and it's free on game pass so who who can argue with that exactly yeah it's amazing um i I must say from the snippets of persona the series that i've seen about the place from you know whatever just websites and stuff I picked up none of that. Like that, that, that <laughs> pretty much everything you described to me was like, what? <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it's like degrees, right? It's, it's a real interesting uh, melange, I oh. guess, of all those sorts of things. So <laughs> it's not going to hit for everyone, but uh, I think it's cool. And it's at least I'll say this, it does interesting things with the J- JRPG yeah. format. And I mean, it clearly has a very big fan base. So I'm, d- I'm delighted those kind of games are getting released in the Western uh, markets. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it might be more popular in, over in the West than yeah. in, in Japan. Certainly has limited audience base mm-hmm. just due to their population. But um, yeah, huge game, big big series. Cool. So I, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Back to you. Any other games you've been playing? Uh, actually, this is a game that I haven't really been playing. Um, I have two small kids, and I'm quite busy. And I I focus a lot more on board games. So a lot of my um, relaxing time, I love watching uh, Let's Plays on YouTube. A game I've been watching a lot of is a game called Dome Keeper, which is, is a recent release. I don't know if you've heard about this game. Uh, I can't even tell you who, de- who developed it. I think it's on my Steam wish list, yeah. but, but I don't know much about it. So t- please tell me more. Sure. So Dome Keeper is this really cool idea. It's a uh, roguelike. And the basic idea is that you like slam into a planet and you have your a small little dome on the surface of the planet a small little base on the the planet and then from that base you mine down into the planet to collect uh three resources uh there's only three so iron water and and cobalt iron water and cobalt basically just square circle and triangle that's that's all it is you collect these resources and you you bring them back to your base and then you upgrade your base um and your base has like a a weapon um and a, a shields and all this sort of stuff and you, you can upgrade your own suit so you can move faster mine faster all that sort of thing as well and then every so often uh, these kind of shadowy monsters attack your base your base and it's done as very cute they're really cute really small little sprites and stuff and they're obviously like terrible monsters because they destroy your base you, you die but they're it, they're just done as these little black sprites with two white dot eyes or whatever and they come running across the map and it's got a really nice cool style to it and very very fun to watch or whatever and then it's, it's basically a puzzle game so like how fast can you mine how fast can you find what you need uh you know upgrade the, the right things for that you'll need for this run or whatever um and succeed or die you just start all over again um on your next run uh you, you can carry some things over uh, like you, you you unlock upgrades throughout the course of a standard game and then for you know for example if you unlock three upgrades you can choose to bring one of those upgrades to start the next map with that upgrade so to just give you a little boost at the start of the, of the map if you want and then there's uh lots of um setup options at the start before you start you can choose like 
small, medium, large maps or uh, fast enemies or strong enemies or whatever it is. So you can really vary the, the map difficulties. And there's a few people that I watch on YouTube that stream it and are that post videos of it. And my wife and I just love to put the kids to bed and sit down and, you know, while we're doing our bit of writing or my wife crochets or, you know, just relaxing the evening and decompressing, we just throw on a, an hour long episode of Dome Keeper. And it's the kind of thing that, you, you know, it's not a TV show where you have to like pay attention to maybe necessarily where if we're a bit too tired for that, but you can have it on up in the back, up there, watch when things go horribly wrong, glance up whenever you hear some, um, the, the, the streamer uh, exclaim in, in, in frustration and uh, yeah, go back to, whatever it is you're working on. And it's just a really fun game. And it's a game that I certainly will be tempted to buy at some point down the line, but uh, I just, right now, I don't really have the time. So I'm enjoying it vicariously through others. <laughs> wow. You are uh, the first person who's ever told me that they watch game streams uh, as a couple. That's, uh, that's really fascinating to me. So it's, it's sort of, yeah. you, you enjoy it equally. You think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I actually, I would nearly say uh, my wife enjoys it more than I do sometimes. Oh, wow. She loves putting them on, especially because, like I said, she likes crochet. So crochet, you generally sit there and you, you work away crocheting. And it's just nice to have music or stuff on in the background. And having like a game stream on allows her to enjoy the game um, while also focusing on whatever she's working on. And a lot of times she does, does her own designs, so she can't really watch a TV show because she's too busy focusing on the design that the pattern that she's trying to work out or make up or whatever it is she's trying to work on, but having a game like that on, you know, you just kind of look up for the highlights or you don't really have to have followed a tight story so, so much as just kind of know the general overarching experience of what, what's what been happening on screen. Nice. And we, we both enjoy watching. We, we both enjoy putting it on and having a laugh. That's really cool. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's ambiance. Yeah, exactly. Very nice. That's cool to hear. Yeah, I, I am intrigued about that game, so I will certainly pick it up at some point. But maybe I will watch a stream before then. Yeah, well, I highly recommend it. Christopher Odd is the one that we, we enjoy watching. I think he's from, I want to say Ontario. So, no, uh, maybe Alberta. He's, he's definitely Canadian, but nice. he's very nice. I will check that. Christopher Odd out. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, Christopher Odd. Nice. I'm going to mention a quick game that I haven't played too much of, but I'm very intrigued by. It's another mobile game. It's called Slice and Dice. I just heard about it, and it's I believe it's only on Android at this point, but uh, um, I sort of lied there. It's also on it's also on personal computer as well, so you might mm -hmm. be able to find it on uh, Mac and uh, definitely PC. It's a roguelite game, but it is dice allocation based and each player character of which you have like a party of five i think it is so very typical fantasy rpg stuff you got a cleric and you got a paladin and you got a thief and you got a you know wizard and something uh you start off with a basic set each character has its own six-sided die and the, the faces of the dice are all bespoke so they're all unique wow and so you know like magic users might ha share similar sides kind of like you you have these points that build up their mana so to speak and melee based characters might have similar sides as well like these sword slashes or shields if, if they're going to be a defender but as you play a, a, a mission a level which is like you know defeat these three rats or something like that sure you roll the six, you roll the five dice, one for each character. And just like Yahtzee, you, you keep the ones you like, and then you re-roll the ones you don't like up to two more times. So three rolls in total. Okay. And you got to keep the last roll because that's all you get. And then you execute whatever the command is, be it the attack, mm -hmm. defend, heal, you know, fireball, whatever it is. And, you know, very typical row-based combat. So there might be monsters in the front row and then monsters in the back row that you can't hit unless you use a ranged attack. So very typical stuff. But this game really hits the mark on, you know, like Snap, it's a digital game that pays honor to tabletop game mechanics, gameplay, and it really intrigued me a great deal. And it's addicting. Like if you like, awesome. you know, you, you might even like Snap, say you like a Slay the Spire, you will be mm -hmm. right into this game. 
And how long, you know, how long would you spend playing it? Like, say, in block. Well, it's <laughs> it's roguelike, so you 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 play until you you die <laughs> as a yeah. party. You you die. You play until you you get a total party kill. But each level is is only like two or three minutes. Sure. If you if you keep succeeding, you can pause there, or you can just keep going. And awesome. you know, I played a session of I don't know, probably th- thirty minutes or more. But uh, mm. I haven't gotten very far, and the game has a free demo, which seems to be pretty generous. And there's no free to play nonsense. It's like eight dollars Canadian, I think, yeah. to unlock everything. That's a, that's a fantastic. That's really good. Yeah, I'll and, definitely look that up. And there's something like a hundred character classes. So basically, as you play the game, you can tweak the faces of the dice. So wow. when you buy, when you gain equipment it will do something like it will convert like a, a non result into a positive result or cool. it will convert, you know, these two faces into these other two faces. And when you level up a character, it straight up converts them. So you might go from like a thief to a ranger or a thief to an assassin or something like that. Wow. And that's cool. those different directions lead to different dice faces and, like I said, there's a hundred of them. So you, you might never see that same result or those same five character classes together. It's, it's just like making me kind of vibrate as I <laughs> describe it. That is so cool. I, I'm definitely going to look that up after this. Yeah. Slice and dice. Like I've only played free so far. And, and if it is continues to be as good as it is, I will pay the eight bucks and buy it for real. Awesome. That's really cool. All right. So any other games you've been playing, Dennis? Nope, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that too. Shall we talk about uh, the main segment then? I think we will. Yeah, Let's you want me to do introduce it. it? Yeah, take us off. Tell us what game we're going to be talking about today, Dennis. This month's uh, OmniGamer podcast, we're discussing Space Base, a 2018 release from AG um, Publishers, uh, designed by John D. Clare. That's right. And uh, we have a listed artist called Chris Walton from 2018. So pretty, pretty recent. Yeah, it is. It's pretty recent. Yes. And and not everyone might have played it. So this is a great time to talk about it. Like uh, that game Quantum you mentioned earlier, this game is also on BGA, Board Game Arena. So free to test out right now. Now, we typically start the main segment by kind of describing what type of game this is. And this game is is kind of kind of has some inspiration based off of some other games people might be familiar with but the overall genre is kind of unique it's 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 dice rolling well, on the bgg page uh it it sort of said randomized production like what the heck does that mean well <laughs> we'll explain what that is but yeah i think the main mechanism is probably like card drafting right like that's that's a big bulk of what this game is I don't know. Whenever I think of card drafting, I think of like the the more mechanic of you know Seven Wonders, right? Where you pick a card from from your hand and then you hand on the card to the other players or something. Whereas this is more like buying from a from a from a store, right? Or from like a yeah a central market or whatever. The selections there's basically like three levels of cards. Mm-hmm. and there's kind of like seven cards dealt out for level one seven cards dealt out for level two seven might not be the exact number but this is a selection of cards and then if you had an eye on that card by the next round that card might be gone exactly yeah. right so in that sense i kind of call that drafting sure. in the way that like is it um ascension Yes, Ascension, that's right. Ascension kind of has the row of cards that get randomly dealt out. So it's kind of like that where you can draft cards. But let's describe it further. So this game, I would say, builds on the Machikoro mechanism. So anyone anyone who's played that probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Basically, every player is going to have the capacity to roll on numbered spaces which go from one to 12 each turn the player the active player is going to roll 2d6 and the result can be anywhere from two ones to two sixes and anything in between so they could uh there's one possibility of rolling uh 12 but otherwise there's two possibilities of rolling an 11 
based on you know which die rolls which result yeah. but you might also roll a one and a six or a two and a three etc cetera, etc cetera. and on your turn each player has the choice of activating the combined result or the two results separately so if they're rolled yeah. a one and a six they can reap the rewards of the one and the six base or reap the reward of the seven base combining the two yeah, exactly. That's right. I think mostly I've been playing the, what is it, the warp speed variant of the game? Yeah. So, um, light speed variant. Light speed, yeah. Light speed. So, normally, uh, so as you said, there are, you have 12 locations to, be, to begin with, and everybody has a card in all 12 locations. So, a Machikori, I think you only start with like two or three cards, and then all the other spaces are essentially blank for you. But in, um, in Space Space, you start with something that you can activate in all 12 sectors and in these kind of standard startup for the game you just get dealt one card randomly to randomize one of those cards from one of those sectors just to give you a little every player to have a small variance on their starting locations but essentially it's only one card and you've no choice over it the light speed variant is really nice because what it does is it deals you i believe uh again seven or eight cards or so and then it gives you 15 coin to spend as you see fit based on those cards. So you might buy like a seven and, and a seven card or two sevens, or you might buy a bunch, you know, if there's a bunch of like small cards, uh, so like two threes and a four and a six, whatever it is, whatever it is, up to 17, up to 15 coins. And, and that varies your starting um, set of, of sectors, which is really nice. Uh, but, but it also speeds up the start of the game because normally what happens is, when you roll your on on your turn, you activate the, the center of the card, but on everybody else's turn, uh, if they roll a number that you've already upgraded at least once, you activate a smaller ability on the top of those cards. That kind of so when you when you buy for for example, let's say you buy a new card that goes into sector three, the current card in sector three gets turned upside down and then slides behind the new card. And then at the bottom of each card is a, is a very small bar that has like a, a smaller uh, ability to activate or, you know, coin or resource or whatever it is. Yeah, I think uh, that's the key distinction that I didn't really exactly. grok yeah. the first time I tried this game out. Of course, I am a fool and I like to play games on BG, BGA without reading the instructions. I just kind of stumble my way through. But mm-hmm. I played much Koro, so I was like, oh, this is going to be no problem. But one of the key distinctions is just what you said. In Machikoro, you roll a seven, and everyone who has that card gets the same result. Yeah. Whether it's the active player who rolled the dice or you know the second er, secondary players, everyone else. But in this game, the active player only gains the rewards of the active space of the cards that they own. And when another player rolls the dice, you only get the secondary ba- effect mm-hmm. based on the cards that you own. So mm-hmm. in the Lightspeed variant, it seems like each player has all of their active spaces activated. So if you roll a seven, you will get a result. But you aren't guaranteed to get a reward when another player rolls a die unless you just so happen to have at least a second card played out to that, I think you called it the sector. So that yeah. corresponds to, say, the number three. That corresponds to at least one die rolling a result of three, or say the two dice roll a result of a one and two adding up to three. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's exactly it. And one of, so one of the things you can do is like try to make sure you have at least one extra, a new card bought for all of the sectors, one through six. So that on every other player's roll, for every round for the rest of the game, you're going to get something from that roll. So because if they roll two sixes, then you'll activate your sector six twice. If you roll a five and a four, you'll activate your five and four, four or five or four, whatever it might be. And by having at least one new card for every sector between one and six, you've got something that you can activate on somebody else's turn. Uh, the other big deal is that like when you roll for your card, sorry, on, on your turn. Um, each sector only has one active card sitting on it, right? It's only that one card that's currently face up. But you can buy new cards for that sector like uh, as often as you wish, as long as they come up in the store. So, for example, on sector five, you could have like you could this could be your fifth card that you purchase for sector five. So you could have a stack of um, cards behind that sector five card, so that when I roll sector five, 
your five gives you loads of uh, additional bonuses. bonuses. Yeah, that was another aspect I didn't realize in the end. And in Machikoro, you can buy multiple cards that sort of correspond to the same die result, right? Like, so mm-hmm. you you can have two cards that have that trigger based on the number three, and they could have totally different effects. But in this case, I thought it was really brilliant how there's the one primary effect that applies to you yourself when you roll the die and it's colored in blue, isn't it? So the, the yeah. effect that uh, happens on your turn is in blue, but the secondary effects that happen on every other player's turn are in red. It's in a little strip and it's, it's printed upside down. So exactly you, you flip it up. So it's, it's obviously when it's upside down, it's not active. It's, it's, it's obvious once you are taught that, but <laughs> Like I said, when I stumbled through playing the game on my own, you know, a number one looks like a number one upside down. Exactly. Or like a number four looks like an H or three looks like a capital E and you're like, it doesn't. Well, with that font, like even like a a two looks like a five. So I didn't really instantly understand that. But now that you explained that to me, I get that I gain all the secondary effects only once I have placed another card on top of that stack. Exactly. Yeah. Which is really interesting because... um, what ends up happening is toward the end, like later in the game, especially in three or four player games, like it's, it's other players' roles where you're gaining all your resources rather as opposed to your role because you only get to roll once per round. Right. But in a four player game, there's three other players all rolling for each of their turns. And potentially you could be getting large chunks of resources if they're rolling your, let's say, seven and you've bought like five cards in your seven sector and you just like buffed out your seven for other people's roles, you, you could be getting lots from that. Th- that. That's a really good point. That uh, the number of players you and I started off with a you know one on one game, which yeah. was great, really pleasant. And you crushed me. <laughs> yeah, that, that was pure chance. I, I think <laughs> you actually gave me a warning that you said of yourself, you you don't focus on the points early enough. Yeah, I, I teach better than I play. <laughs> so I decided to focus on points in, in dribs and drabs, and then that started snowballing. So not a bad strategy. I think any player could try that out when they're first starting to play that game. And another great aspect that that enables is basically there's little downtime because stuff is yeah. happening on other players' turn. That it might be very reminiscent if you've played a lot of Catan, it's very much that randomized production on someone else's turn. Somebody might get you something nice because they rolled a seven, not a seven. You don't get stuff when you roll a seven in Catan, but they might roll a five. Yeah. But you might in in space space, you might get lots of things because again, you're rolling 2d6, right? So an obvious strategy is to make sure you're building up your sevens because it's more likely to be rolled by other players. Right. It's it's that sort of bell curve, right? The seven is the most likely to happen. The, the other thing that's worth saying is, is that, um, for example, on your roll, let's say you roll a three and a four, well, you can choose to activate your three and four sectors, but I'm still free to activate my seven sector. Like, we're, we're not, the other players aren't restricted by whatever the primary, the, the current uh, lead player chooses. Yeah. You just look at the die rolls and you get to pick how you want to use them yourself quite often the result is going to be obvious one of them is just numerically going to be superior and um the bga version you you turned me on to this has some nice sort of automation right why don't you tell us about those options so obviously in in, uh if you're playing it at a table sitting around with with, with people in in real time or if you're playing on bga in real time anyways uh it's really nice you're just going to be reacting to the dice that come up immediately but one of the great things that the bga uh, implementation has is auto confirm or auto select so uh, in the event that a role there's an obviously superior choice for for a role it will just give you that choice so let's say you roll two dice and your options are uh, one coin one coin and six coin the game goes well you're obviously going to choose the six coin over the two one coins and so it'll just give you those six coins which is great if you're playing async because it means turns can continue can can move along without having to stop to confirm little things like that. Obviously, if it, if it, sometimes the computer doesn't know, let's say it might be uh, the the options might be two one coins or 
a victory point in a coin or maybe just a victory point by itself and then the game is like well i don't know which one's better for the player in this case so it'll, it will pause the game until the player makes a choice but in very clear-cut situations it will just auto give you the better result and that just keeps asynchronous games moving much much faster it's a really smart sort of adaptation for a digital world, an async sort of paradigm. And I think it totally fits. You're right. You recommended it. And I did heed your recommendation, but only after I had sort of watched a few rounds play out. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, so a person who's familiar with the game will obviously be cool with just taking the better result. Also, it's not necessary in a game where you're playing at the same time where you know where you decide to meet up even if you're meeting up on bga if you're, you're saying hey let's all meet up at eight o'clock and we'll play in our own homes but like live at the time then you don't need to turn on those options because you're, you're all there you're responding immediately to the, to the die rolls right yeah otherwise you might want to keep an eye on the log obviously another great thing about bga is that it logs every action that not just you take but that the other players take so one thing i found was coming back to that game you don't often know whose turn it is, like who rolled the dice, and you only really can look at the log to determine, oh, it was me, I rolled the dice, <laughs> because you're not physically rolling dice. It pauses when there's a decision point, right? Exactly, exactly, that's really good. But in terms of an adaptation, I think that's great. It's a smart that they gave people an option to do that. There's one thing about the BJ implementation. I play it a lot on my, on my iPad and my tablet, and sometimes when I'm scrolling... You know, if it says, okay, you can buy a card, you can buy your cards, and I'm scrolling up to look at the shop, occasionally like it'll be like, oh, you picked this card. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And if everybody else has already done their actions, it immediately just jumps to the next player's turn. But if, I, if I'm if i waiting for somebody else to take their action, and I do that by accident, I can undo my turn. But the undo turn is only there for like a split second if you are the last person to do the action for that round, which is infuriating when you, make the, when you just press the wrong wrong card um, but, i've um, had some ui mishaps on bga for sure but yeah. uh, player beware i guess before you go into exactly one thing we haven't said about the cards is those sector cards are really thin long cards i haven't seen them used in any other game like they're imagine a playing card turned on its side and then cut into like maybe four like they're they're very very small cards oh wow um, yeah, even even in a physical game, they're really, really small, which makes them kind of annoying to shuffle, but that's not an issue for BGA. And then playing on a phone, because you've got to do your 12 sectors, they're very, very small details. It works beautifully on my iPad, on my tablet, but um, I can't imagine playing on a phone. It's just So that's a really good point. Obviously, I don't own this game. I've only played on BGA, and I played some. I played a real-time game with you. Most of my games have been uh, async. But um, tell me, you know, what's your perspective from having played this game in person? Because you've held the cards. There's not just cards. There's cubes, at least, right? What's Mm -hmm. the production quality, or what's the production? What's the experience playing this game in a tactile manner? So the production quality is fantastic. The cards are vibrant and good cardstock, good quality cardstock, nice whole, nice feel. But just the size of those cards is making really hard to shuffle. As you said, there are three columns, so you're always having to like, you know, sort them out at the end of a game and make sure that they haven't been mixed up. Uh, although the card backs are very, very different, but it's just an additional step for, for cleanup. And, and then as well as that, you have to take out all of the starting locations for, for all for all the players as well. Make sure you separate all the starting sectors out. Uh, the, the cubes are lovely. The cubes in the game are if you the pand- like pandemic cubes, those small plastic cubes, but they're just white. So you have a lovely kind of bright, kind of almost like luminescent glow to them when you put them on a card. So they, they look nice. But to be honest, because of the size of the cards and the cubes, and like I said, when you buy new New, new sectors you just take the old sector flip it up and slide it behind your 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 new card which is fine until you've got like seven or eight sectors and you're like carefully trying to put that new card in at the top of the sector and they're all kind of sliding together and you're like trying to make sure you're all spread out so everybody can see all the cards at all times and then it's like oh no now i have to move all my cards up because I've, i bought so many cards for sector for for the second you know maybe, maybe you have your depending on your table size a lot of people do two lines of six rather than one long line of 12 and then maybe you, suddenly you have like five or six in sector seven. You have to push all of your one through six sectors up a little bit on the table. And the game is just a little finicky in, in meat space. 
But on BGA, it's just so cleanly done and so nicely um, implemented. In a lot of ways, it's sort of a no-brainer for a digital implementation. And you know, I'm kind of surprised that there isn't a, a dedicated app version, exactly, version yeah. of this game that would, you know, like they could do a lot with it, right? They could have 3D models for the ships and they could have, you know, explosions or whatever or things, you know, things literally warping. Exactly. I, I completely agree. And uh, like, like the BGA implementation is very nice it's a very clean implementation but it doesn't have any of the expansions as far as i'm aware and there are at least two i believe expansions out for, for the for the physical game i w- was meaning to ask you if you had played any of the expansions and just kind of you know get a quick read if you think that they add very much to the experience um so i actually haven't had a chance to play any of the expansions uh, so here's another thing that i will say i didn't enjoy space base when i played in physical um the, the physical edition i played it pre-pandemic um i played it like twice and i didn't particularly enjoy either of my games i think part of it was maybe just not really getting the engine building system or like, like i said i'm very bad at knowing when to like change over to like victory points but i find that I, that doesn't bother me as much when i'm playing a secret on bj because like, i'm not like i'm not sitting at a table sp- playing an hour playing a game and then losing horribly because like while i understand all the rules it takes it might take three, four, five games for me to to understand like the strategy, should we say? And like that's three, four, five games where I'm losing really harshly. Whereas on BGA, because it's asynchronous, it's not really the same uh, time commitment, right? You just you just log in, you take your turns, you log out, and you go do whatever you're doing. And I feel I'm I'm, I'm willing to like lose those games and learn through play. A little bit more on BGA than I am in, in real time, in real space. And the, the finickiness of, 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 of small cards kind of annoyed me when I first played it. But I've just enjoyed it so much more. And I, like, I've gone from being like, eh, I'm not really a space-based fan. I, you know, I'm glad you enjoy it, but I'm not going to try it again. To like, I really enjoy it. And I, and I really, really enjoy teaching other players about it. I don't know if I'll ever go back and try the physical again. No, that's good. Like, I like to hear, you know, how that difference affects your opinion of the game. You know, I happen to think that some games are just better on digital versions. And I think that's okay, too, because I I think, you know, I like video games. We were just talking about Quantum earlier on during the games we played. I mean, that's another prime example. I do love Quantum, the physical game as well. And I love I love how that the tactileness of that. And I, I do love it. But again, I can never play a big game of it because I'm always teaching a new player. We we only have like an hour or whatever it is. Whereas with BGA, I can play those big games because even I can play those big games with a new player because it doesn't matter. Playing the bigger, longer games gives them a chance to make up for the mistakes they make early on. Whereas when you're playing the smaller maps, maybe they make a mistake, they learn from another mistake, but they don't have time to correct it before the match is over and then they've lost a round. So it's kind of interesting to have that like that dynamic of the asynchronous digital games allow you to learn the games differently. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like the stakes are lower, right? Because you're not, yeah, yeah. you don't have a butt in a seat for an hour or exactly. an hour and a half. Exactly. Yeah. You're, it's just taking up less cognitive load. <laughs> I really like playing on Board Game Arena. It's nothing like playing in person pre-pandemic. That's a totally different thing. But in addition to that totally wonderful thing of playing live and in person, I also like playing asynchronously. Yeah, and I will say that's exactly me. I, I avoided uh, BGA for even during the pandemic for the longest time because I was like, I like board games because I like sitting around with friends and talking to friends. And then I realized that I do, but I also like other elements of board games as well. And I, I like kind of learning board games through BGA and being able to like, just like being able to queue up like five games of Space Base and all at the same time and play them all at once or whatever and bounce back and forth and start to learn how the game works yeah i also like playing a game i've played in one version and then trying it in the other and seeing how it feels different like i think that's fascinating especially a game that you feel like you have a lockdown on in digital and then you you get to the analog version and you get your butt handed to you basically or or vice versa right you think like you're really good at the physical version because you're playing with the same group of friends who all play it and you go online and you're like Oh my God! You did what? How did you do that? What? <laughs> what you? I didn't even. 
it's always good to play in a different setting because uh, with, <laughs> with different players because they might show you a totally new technique or, or strategy that you hadn't considered. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I think we've talked a pretty good length about overall of the game. I'm going to start telling people about my opinions of this. I'm, I'm generally positive of space space. Like I said, I've only played it in digital. So the caveats there, I haven't had the frustration of dealing with the tiny little minuscule cards, but I would say overall that this is a fairly light game. At least the base uh, set, uh, excusing the pun, uh, is probably a little bit lighter. Uh, there are, more simple cards and then there's more advanced cards yeah. which i've only played like a this a dozen or so times so i haven't tried every strategy but you could definitely play this in a very light no fuss manner by just picking yeah. the cards that ha- give you the big bucks or that give you the big points and in that sense i think it would probably even be a good you know family game for depending on the ages of your your children or the younger players yeah i very much agree and one of the nice things about it is because you've got that like that shop right as new cards come out you'll be like oh let me explain how this works or oh let me explain how this works right you're, you're not you can explain like the basic cards like this one gives you coin this one gives you victory points this one gives you income or whatever it is but then when the, when those weird cards come out that are like charge it four times to get this ability that you can, you can explain it as they come out so you're not front loading too much information. There's some pretty wild cards in there and, mm-hmm. uh, and we won't cover them all. But I think you clearly pointed out a card I should be aware of is the you win the game you card, win. right? Yeah. It's literally called you win and you just charge it a certain number of times depending on the number of players. Uh, I think, and if you can charge it up uh, that last time. You just triggered you in the game. That's right. And it's it's clearly chance-based, right? Because I think it's only available in the 12 sector. Yeah. So, yeah. So, obviously, that card, there's only one of that card in the whole deck, and it's only a, tw- a sector 12 card. And you, you can only charge it on your round, like on your roll of the dice. And if you ever buy a new card to put in that sector and flip it upside down, I think it becomes like a charge for 20 coin or a charge for 10 coin or something. So it, it's still good, but obviously you can't win the game when, it, when, it, when it's flipped over. I, I've, I've managed to win the game twice <laughs> by triggering you in. So there are cards in the game that allow you to, to shift sectors around. Like there's one card that says, you know, swap your 7 and your 12 sector or something like that. Or, I can't remember. And there's another card that says, you know, when you purchase, like, uh, trigger this card, purchase a, a, a card and put it in any sector. So one one game, I was like, "Well, I I'll tri- I, I, I bought that card. The UN card came up in the in the pool. I had to save up enough money to buy the UN card because it's also it's also a, a level three card, which is more expensive cards. And then I triggered that card, bought the UN card, put it in sector six, and then started working toward it. But by then, like by the time I like done all those things together, another player would had already won the game. There is not a hard limit on how many rounds it takes, but it no. typically ends when one of the players has hit 40 points, 40, right? Yeah. So as soon as one player hits 40, um, I think it plays out so everybody has the same number of turns and then it's Yeah, that pivot, like you said, it that's where the decision point bite you and in the it butt. It can be fast, you know, it can be really fast. It can be fast, you, but it can it can be long too, I feel yeah, like. So. But I, I find that even on the long games, right, it's like it's a very slow start. It's, it's kind of got like a ramp up curve, right? So like once people start hitting 20 points, it's going to be pretty much over in like maybe three or four turns. Like at that point, they've, they've gotten like an engine going where like they're earning three or four victory points in a turn, or maybe they're buying the victory points exclusive cards that we haven't really mentioned. So I find like once, once you get to like, once somebody's at the 20 mark, you're not halfway through the game. You're probably more like three quarters to two thirds like two thirds three quarters of the way through the game you're much closer to the end than you are to the start right i like a game that has a, a sort of arc like that exactly but it's also like shocking when like me as a player who's really terrible at the game will be like building my fantastic engine and then i look up and i'll be like oh mark is on 36 points uh <laughs> right okay I think people that are looking for a deeper, heavily strategic experience might be a little bit disappointed, but people who are looking for a lighter game that has a lot of chance to it and that has lots of little decision points, you know, this is like an engine builder's 
fantasy come mm-hmm. true, you might have too much fun building your engine, <laughs> for instance. Yeah, that's exactly. And yeah. let someone else win. It's it's an interesting blend of sort of aspects of bingo and even roulette, because you know you're just really hoping for that one number to hit. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, what about yourself, Dennis? Any closing thoughts to to this game? I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, I think uh, I think it is the kind of game where you you need to be clever with when you pivot. And you need to be kind of aware of like it's it's a very interactive game. There's, you're you're always aware of what people are rolling because you can activate your card as well. But you also you also want to keep an eye on what people are buying and and uh, triggering themselves to know where their, where your victory points are and what they're going for. So it's a very fun interactive game, even on like a higher player account of five or whatever whatever the maximum number of players are so i, I really enjoyed that aspect. and yeah it's, it's definitely a bit lighter it's more i would say it's more complex than machikoro which is kind of considered a very very light game in this genre of should we say tableau building card purchasing kind of game and a lot of people when it when it first came out a lot of people said oh this is kind of like machikoro 2.0 this is taking what machikoro did and doing it better which i totally agree with i personally enjoy i have machikoro in my collection somewhere i think but um, yeah, I, I really, really enjoy Space Space. I think it's a, a really fun game. Actually, it's it does play really fast uh, if you're playing in real time. One of my neighbors here where I live will spot me online during his lunch break and be like, hey, do you want to play a quick game with Machikora? We'll, we'll play like a three-player game with himself and his wife or a friend. And we'll just play a three-player game in like 45 minutes. And I love that kind of game. I love the fact that it's like, it's a big box game, uh, lots of interesting choice and lots of interesting uh, decisions we made but it still plays in a relatively uh, comfortable time. I'm a fan of complex games and lighter games as well. I think it has a really pleasant feel to it. And it's probably even gateway game adjacent, maybe a little yeah, bit I, quarter step I would up. Definitely say that, yeah. yeah, I would, I would definitely say that. I think it's, like I said, because the, like some of the more complex cards you can just explain as they come up. Or you know they're in the later markets, so you're not going to be buying them in, on turn one because um, the, the markets are divided up into like cheap, medium, and expensive cards. So you don't need to worry about the more expensive cards in early games. So it's a really good game for like explaining the basics how the game works and then adding to the rules as you're playing without being like kind of like gotcha, you know, without being like oh yeah, I should explain this now because you know that's how I win. It's kind of like I'll explain this now because now you are at the point where it's a relevant piece of information. Right. And if I was playing with younger audiences or maybe a, a first time game, I might even keep some of those more complex cards out. Exactly. Yeah. If you're playing, um, yeah. If you're playing on in physical, that's absolutely a, a, a thing that you, you could, you, you could do very easily. Yeah. Well, I think we covered space base pretty well. So to wrap it up, I'm supposed to do a few things and Daniel's not here to remind me. So let's see if I do it right. I should announce the next game we're going to cover. We're covering a video game, a little video game that's got a bit of buzz around it called Vampire Survivors. Have you had a chance to play this game at all? Dennis? I can't say I have. Um, it's very funny. Uh, I spotted it on your show notes uh, that you sent me, and I was like, I haven't even heard of this game. So uh, it's I'm super cute. I, I won't spoil too much, but I think it's available on PC for like two or three bucks. And it's addictive. Let me tell you, it's, I I won't give too much away. It's, it's a a real gem though. So that's the game that Daniel and I will be covering. I'm supposed to tell people that they can visit our website at omnigamers.club, omnigamersclub on Twitter as well. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you, uh, Dennis Ryan, for joining us. You're our very first guest co-host we've had guests before but no one's stepping in for one of the main co-hosts so thank you so much for filling those historic uh, role right there it's my pleasure i I believe uh i think if if my time is correct i believe uh right now as we speak daniel is thirty thousand feet in the air so you could be right but you know i also just spotted him booting up bga board game arena (laughs) about an hour ago so i'm like hey what are you doing pal you could be joining the episode recording right about now (laughs) Uh, i made him a promise that i would get this out while uh, he's in australia so i'll put the episode up and you can listen on the long flight home (laughs) any uh shout outs that you want to make dennis or any projects you got going on or i have been streaming occasionally twitch.com tv slash quaid rain 
but uh, not a huge event. A huge event recently. Um, I was streaming with some friends on Friday, I think Thursday or Friday, and uh, they they gave a shout out to the podcast when I mentioned that I was going to be on it. So hopefully you'll have a few listeners will pop in for that. Um, oh, fantastic! And uh, yeah, it's been well, it's been really great. Awesome. Well, tell us how to spell a Quay Drain again, because that's how most people can yeah. find you. It's a uh, Dennis Quaid, and then I'm misspelling my surname, so uh, Q-U-A-I-D-R-A-Y-N. Q-U-A-I-D-R-A-Y-N. I'm hoping this won't be the last time you join us on our show. Maybe you'll join us to talk about Snap in the future. You'll be having to lock me outside the door if if you don't invite me for that one. (laughs) If we have a Snap (laughs) episode, you will be there. That's my promise to you. (laughs) Delighted. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thanks so much. And we don't have an outro for this uh, show, so goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much. See you soon, Dennis.